is Sergey Ross Show, and episode number 42, where I had an opportunity to meet with Roy Perriera, who is the CEO and the founder of company Zoom.ai, which is your personal automated assistant. He's a serial entrepreneur. He founded multiple businesses. Being a solopreneur initially, we are talking about what drives him, some of the work ethic, the routines that he has, the lessons he learned from starting multiple businesses, role models, and why learning is important. There's some tremendous insights here, guys, and I hope you enjoy it. Here's Roy. I'm here with Roy Perrier, who is the CEO and the founder of Zoom AI, which is a chat-based productivity tool that helps employees to offload and automate everyday tasks. Roy, thank you so much for joining me here on the show today. No problem. So you held a number of roles and you were in marketing, you were in product management for, for a number of years before you became a founder. Was an idea to work for yourself always there? or you developed that as you went later on? Yeah, so I have to say that I always wanted to run my own company. Even when I was a boy, um, I always had this entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, my mom had a grocery store, so maybe I got it from her. Uh, maybe it was because I didn't get a, an allowance from her and I wanted mm. more money. But I always had these ideas about how to buy something and then sell it for more. Um, even as a small kid, and I would do all sorts of crazy stuff um, in terms of buying and then selling it to other people. Um, and then I actually started my career in tech, like, so as a as a developer. Um, and okay. I wanted to build stuff that just didn't exist, and that's why I I started there. And then, as you stated, I did actually migrate over to product management and then marketing. Um, and then eventually running my own companies and starting them um, after I became an executive at, at a couple of companies. Have you approached that, Roy, in a way that, oh, I know that I need a set of certain skills to be good at being a founder, so I'm going to use each opportunity consciously to learn how does marketing work, how does product management work, how do sales work, and then later on I will do my own thing. Or, or you had a different vision when you were working for those guys? No, exactly what you said the first time. Um, I remember my first startup. So I, I actually dropped out of university. I wanted to change the world. Um, and I started a small company. And it, for three years, I thought it was going well. It paid the bills, you know, it, it paid for my rent and partying, you know, kind of thing when I was young. Yeah. And the biggest learning that I had from that uh, experience was that I didn't know a lot. I didn't know how to run a company. I knew how to program. Um, I was good in math and all of this. And I was good at understanding what people's problems were and how to fix them. But I didn't actually know how to run a company. And, and so I credit my successes later on in life with that one inflection point, which is basically I don't know what I'm doing and I'm, and I'm allowing to say that's okay. So how do I figure out how to run a startup? And so that embarked me on literally 10, 12 years of trying new things. So I would go and join companies, startups and, and watch. And um, because I was doing my job well, I'd get promoted or I get moved around and I would ask to be moved around. I would ask to go and do customer support, which I never did before because I wanted to understand what they went through. Uh, I would go and ask to go out with the salespeople. And so I actually would try every single position because I wanted to see how the, the gears in a, in a company work. 
And mm. that allowed me to get a huge range. Um, and that's what a CEO needs to do, right? You, right? you need to understand how all the parts move together. You can't just know sales, you know? So yeah, sales is super important, of course. Uh, or you can't just know product. Absolutely. So you have to know all of it and you have to know how the interaction and that's the most important thing. It's actually not how a salesperson works. It's how they operate with the rest of the team in other businesses, in other teams. And that's really important because if you don't have an efficient organization, then you just grind to a halt or you implode as soon as you hit a certain amount of people. Certainly. And I think the biggest part from what you just described is being self-aware that, hey, actually, I, I'm not really good at this thing and I need to learn and be vulnerable and actually listen to other people. Where that self-awareness came from, have you had it always before or you kind of developed it and being just being that receptive to the feedback and knowing that, hey, I don't really know all, all of it at the moment? Yeah, that's a really good question. I. Um... I get a sense that, you know, I was an immigrant child. Uh, my mom and I came here from uh, another country and I was always humble um, about things. I never thought that I was, the, you know, the best of anything. And so I think that came naturally to me. Uh, and because I really wanted to succeed, I really wanted to change the world, as I called it back then. Um, and so to do that, you, you know, you, you have to say, I don't know what I don't know. And how do I find out? Mm -hmm. Um, later on, so, you know, now that I'm this old, you know, a couple of years ago, I had this idea that you really need to surrender sometimes to, to what the world gives you to accept it and to move on and to learn from it. And that's a, like a much bigger concept now that I understand. Um, but that's really what I did all those years ago in my first startup. I basically surrendered to the fact that I failed. And I failed because I didn't know how to run a business. And so how do I not fail again? Right. And so that was, right. I, I think, yeah. a, a really good lesson for me. And if I would have just said, well, it wasn't my fault, you know, something else caused me to fail. I would have never learned and I would have kept doing the same mistakes over and over again. But that reframe is super important. Some people think, oh, it's a failure. I'm a failure. But you say, hey, this is actually an opportunity. I this is one way that didn't work and I wasn't really good at this, but that allowed me to learn this, this and this. And I'm going to go and take that and probably take a little bit of that pain because me, a few people like failing. And even though it's been celebrated in the valley, but I don't think a lot of people enjoyed going through that. Take a little bit of that pain, a little bit of that knowledge and do much better the next time. Yeah, I think that failure is a great thing. So I, I worked in the Valley for four years and I found that their attitudes were very much like mine. Um, and sometimes, as, as Canadians know, that same attitude does not work very well here. We're more risk adverse and so forth. So I do agree that we need to allow ourselves to fail. And when we do, we have to say, yeah, that's fine. That's great. But what did I learn? So failures are the best place to learn. And, and really, when you look at someone who has so-called wisdom, uh, mm -hmm. they get wisdom from the bad times. They don't get wisdom from the good times. When everything is good, like you can barely keep up. And so you're almost yeah. not, you're not even processing what's going on. You're just like trying to keep up. It's only during the bad times that you really do a lot of self-reflection about what happened, why could I do better and so forth. And that's when the learnings really come. And so I say, you know, failure is fine but you have to learn from it. 
failure is a true failure if you don't learn anything from it and you blame other people um, and you just keep on going and doing the same thing over again, right? Yeah, totally. When you when you truly give up and you're not trying anymore. Where, like in terms of, I guess, coming from the Valley, because you spent quite a bit of time there. And I know people come to Toronto and everybody talks about how phenomenal Toronto tech ecosystem is, and it really is. But I want to play a devil's advocate you came from the Valley. What were the things you found here in Toronto that you didn't quite like? So, you know, obviously I grew up in Ottawa and I went down to the Valley, you know, Mecca for tech. And I was there during the dot-com and dot-bust. Um, so it was great and bad. Um, and the then I came, the glory days, yeah. And, and then I came up to back to Canada, but I, I chose to come to Toronto and i thought toronto was the best place and i still do and i actually i, I feel it even more now because it's grown so mm. much um and i just thought like we saw ourselves as not good enough and we had mm. this inferiority complex and when i walked around i talked to people in in tech i couldn't believe the amount of talent and I, and I remember one of my first texts back to a friend of mine back in california and I said, I cannot believe how much good talent there is up here. And this is after being in the Valley. And like anyone that's worked in the Valley knows that there's talent wars like crazy. Like it's just so oh. hard to hire. You basically hire everyone from outside the Valley uh, all the time. Because of, because of the competition in San Francisco is insane of those big tech companies, right? Right. And what's happening right now in the, in the Valley is exactly what happened during the dot com. Um, and so when I came up here, I'm like, wow, this is a breath of fresh air, but I cannot believe how talented these people are compared to what I was dealing with in terms of hiring people when I was in the Valley. And I couldn't believe how they didn't think that way. And so there's this real like perception that we're just not good enough. We're not the Valley. And that was then. Uh, I'm happy to say that we don't think that way anymore. Toronto has grown tremendously in the last 15 years that I've been here. Um, you know, we went through um, the economic downturn, we almost didn't skip a beat, you know, and that's just because yeah. we have such a, a variety of industries here. We have a lot of innovation, um, you know, and now with the AI, you know, we, we're in the largest city in the world with the most amount of AI startups. Um, we're having a huge immigration uh, for, for tech, you know, so instead of going down to the Valley, people are coming to Toronto or Montreal. And so we're... And we're yeah. And I've heard it, sorry, I've heard it from so many other founders that it's a it's an incredible ecosystem that keeps growing and the the number of VCs that come here, that the amount of funding that's being available here is as high as it ever been. Yeah, so funding is not the issue um, at all. So we're we're basically in the same um, problem space that the Valley has, um, and that's talent. Um, and there's really a global talent war going on right now. And that's where governments are getting involved. So our government um, has done some fantastic things, actually, uh, with the um, the travel visas, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, the work visas for the for tech uh, industries, for startup visas, for companies to come over here. Um, and that is unheard of. When, it, when I tell people down in the States that I can bring a new hire in from anywhere in the world and it will take me two weeks to get a work visa for them. That's unheard of, right? So that's crazy. We're we're doing the right things. Um, the funding is here. Um, you know, 
we are now hitting above what we used to be hitting. You know, you have the Shopify's of the world and, and all of that. That's great. That's just an outlier. So we have to get a lot more Shopify's, a lot more companies thinking that, yeah, I can run uh, the largest company here from Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver or whatever. Yeah. Right. And not just go out yeah. and sell early uh, or go to the Valley. We don't have to go to the Valley. The Valley is experiencing um, people leaving. Um, just because it's too expensive, it's it's just really hard to, to live there. I talked to quite a few CEOs in the last couple of months, and something that comes up and I'm very, very curious about is that each CEO predominantly is an extremely driven person. It's driven to to learn in multiple different areas, as we talked about, and to succeed and to drive everybody forward. And each of them has a different reasons different motivation why they do that you've been a you founded multiple companies you've been a solopreneur which is actually it's very hard to do it on your own as a start not having a co-founder and you keep doing it after many many years what are some of the driving factors for you to keep doing what you're doing building businesses and relentlessly learning i think that last part that you just said is exactly why I want to keep on learning, right? As you, as you get older, you know, and it's funny, like what is old, right? I talk to like mm. people who are 29 and they're freaking out that they're about to be 30 and that's really old. Um, and so, you know, every 10, <laughs> every 10 years you go through that. But I, I feel that every year you have to really push yourself and ask yourself, what do you want to learn? And, and what I do is I start a different company um, in a different industry. And I actually am, am I'm really weird in, in a bunch of ways. One is, yeah, I'm a solo entrepreneur. Uh, that is really hard. It's harder to start a company and to get it to scale uh, just by yourself. Two, I change industries. I don't stick in one industry. If I look at the last industry that I was in, which was ad tech, uh, when I had shiny ads, um, right. and all the people that I met during that time and then afterwards when it was acquired by Rubicon, you know, all those people, their only industry has ever been ad tech and they know the ins and outs and all the people and all this and i i chose not to do that again um and i wanted to do something different and people ask me well how many years have you been in ai and i'm like uh three um and i've, <laughs> I've never done ai before and i i did it because it's interesting and i didn't understand it and i wanted to and i wanted to understand what people uh want out of a solution that has ai uh, that is um, an automated system and, and so forth and even before the ad tech, if I go further back with um, security, right? Um, right. It's just, it, I just want to keep changing it and I want to keep understanding new problems. Uh, and that's what sort of drives me uh, from, from a personal point of view. I want to understand. I want to learn more. Um, what drives me too is I want to change the world for my customer, you know, that's mm -hmm. how I perceived value because that's how I personally also want to be treated. I want to use a right. product that fundamentally changes the way that I work or the way that I play or whatever. Um, and I feel that technology can do that. And a lot of times I feel that technology has not done that because it, we just mm -hmm. sort of throw derivative um, products out. Uh, and that comes back to another reason why I do change industry because I like to go into an industry without any historical knowledge of what had happened before. You know, having a historical knowledge is a pro for sure, it's good, but it also can hinder you because you don't think outside the box, you think the same way as everyone else. 
So I want to go in there. I want to look at the problem and I want to come up with maybe a brand new solution that never, nobody's ever thought about. And that's how I can how be you, competitive. How do you pick an industry, Roy? Like say you did attack, you successfully exited, then you're looking for what's next. Are you evaluating it from, oh, this is the tech technology that's going to really make a big difference going forward and I can make a difference for my future customers. And that's why I'm going to, that's why I'll do that. Yeah, so honestly, um, I'm the type of entrepreneur that builds for themselves first. Uh, and so I have a problem, you know, uh, the problem is yeah. whatever. Like I, I have too many meetings and why am I still negotiating meetings? It's like 2016. Um, and that was one of my problems. And, uh, you, you know, the, you can go deep into that, you know, feeling unfulfilled at the end of the day and unhappy about your job and all of this. Because that's all actually all part of the, the problem. But the root problem is, yeah, there's too many meetings going on right now. Hmm. And I'm still doing them manually like I was back in you know 2001. Um, and so I had that problem and I wanted to fix it. And so I went out and I tried to find a solution. I realized that my team also had the same problem. So there's hmm. a small market right there. Um, yeah. and, then, and then you sort of figure out, hey, there's a bigger market. <laughs> and this is a real problem. And the people have budget for it. And you, know, you go through the whole product right. management exercise but the the first uh glimmer uh, uh, of the company uh is i have a problem uh, and i've done this each time like i've always built a new company around solving a problem that i found that i had um and then i found other people who had the same problem hmm. right how do you overcome challenges when something's not working, you tried it multiple times in a row, it's just not working. Are, you, are there any questions that you ask yourself, maybe advice that you go for trying to find any reframes that you do? I think the number one job of a startup and the reason why angels and, and seed investors give you funding is for you to experiment. Uh, and I think a lot of us forget that. And I, I mean, mm -hmm. honestly, I've forgotten that as well. Like sometimes you mm -hmm. get uh, ahead of yourselves and you think that, yeah, I got it. This is so successful. I'm going to be the next Facebook. And meanwhile, mm -hmm. you're not even close to revenue, right? Um, and so I think you have to just experiment and try different things and no sacred cows. This is a lesson that I learned while I was working at Cisco Systems in the Valley. They had this, mm -hmm. uh, this card that you'd actually have to carry around your belt um, with their values. And I know that sounds sort of dorky, but in yeah. some ways it was pretty good because you always knew how to answer a question when you're in a meeting. And one of those values was no technology religion. It's not about the technology. It's about the problem that the customer has. And so there's lots of different ways to, to fix that problem. Some of them include technology. And then I'm sure there's a thousand different technologies that you can use. And so, especially from like more technical mm -hmm. employees where you're sort of tied to a specific technology, that's really not the answer that you need to look at. And you really need to th throw on a board all possibilities, even though they, they, they may seem ridiculous, but you never know because that ridiculous option could uh, be exactly what the customer wants and what the competition can't do. And that's how the, these, you know, like, look at Airbnb, like, would you ever yeah. think about doing this before they did it? Like, that's a crazy idea. Like, who would ever <laughs> rent their house out? Right? So that's, yeah, or, or an Uber, right? So 
you look at those and those are out of left field. And But that's what you really have to do. You don't have to like go crazy like what Uber and Airbnb did. But if it's not working, then why are you still doing the exact same thing and expecting something different? You got to experiment. In finding that that uh, threshold, I find it's really not sometimes easy. Like, are you do you have to persevere here or do you actually have to abandon that altogether and try something else? Yeah. So in the end, you know, we're all humans, right? And we all have ego. Um, and, you know, we all get attached to what we've built and so forth. So it, it is harder for some people. Um, as I get older and, you know, quote unquote, wiser, uh, I find that I could turn off the emotion easier and, mm -hmm. and just sort of say, look, the numbers aren't working, right? The numbers are right. truth, right? And so um, let's experiment and let's drop it. And I know we worked six months on it and let's just drop it. And, uh, it is hard. Uh, for a lot of people to change. But that's what a startup's about, right? And if you're joining a startup expecting the same work environment as like a bank, <laughs> you're going to be disappointed and the company's not going to work out very well. Certainly. Right. Are there any role models that you follow, people that inspire you? Well, um, maybe somebody you look up to in, um, in life, could be personal, could be business. Yeah, you, you know, I hate to say Elon Musk is interesting just because of his drive and his just craziness and his dedication to his vision. I think that yeah. is super important. I, I mean, you know, he's a human after all, and he has lots of failings. But the drive to his vision, and this is something that I definitely see myself have, this absurd, uh, almost state of denial sometimes that, you know, you're walking towards this vision, this this point in space time somewhere that's going to make everything better. Um, and, and that's a little crazy because it's, it's a, it's about faith, you know, and a lot of times mm -hmm. most entrepreneurs don't really have faith in anything, uh, but accept their vision. So I, yeah. I, I, I sort of like that in him. Um, you know, I, I like, um, um, yeah, I, I mean, there's some political figures that uh, I appreciate for their humbleness because that's mm -hmm. actually very rare in the political scene. Uh, so like Jimmy Carter, for example, the, his yeah. statesman-like self, um, the way that he's giving to, to the rest of the world kind of thing. So th that, mm -hmm. that I appreciate because giving back, paying it forward, if you will, with not expecting anything is how we as, as a civilization grow. And, you know, as a team, as like, so, say, Tech Toronto or Tech Canada or whatever, whatever group or team that you want to help out, this is how we all get lifted, right? So um, non-transactional, not expecting anything in return, right? Yeah. And I really, really like that. Uh, I wish there was a lot more of that. Um, you know, I, I will take a coffee with anybody. I have like a link that I'll give to someone to to select a time, obviously with zoom.ai. Um, right. And I will take it. Anybody can uh, buy me coffee and I'll sit and am listening and um, just chat. Talk to me about, I like to talk about uh, routines and some of the hypothetical questions we will dive into in a moment, but talk to me about some of the routines that you have in the morning or evening. Like how do you start your day? Are there any specific things that you like doing or any sequence of things that you do to make sure that you're ready for the day and whatever comes up? Because as we know, in a startup, you never know. 
Yeah, so in the mornings, I'd like to skim both uh, my calendar, what's coming up. Uh, I like to skim my emails, not necessarily read them, but just skim them, um, mm. sort of get the gist of what they're about. Because uh, I do have quite a lot of emails that come in, um, and not all of them are taken care of that day. Uh, and so just make a, a little list of what I need to get accomplished during that day. And I find that I, I will go through all of it if I write it down. Um, mm. And if I don't, then it'll just sit there. So in the mornings before most people get into the office, that's what I'm doing. Uh, I'm just preparing a list of stuff that I know I need to do that are important. And I'll, I'll prioritize it, all of that. Um, oh, you're a list person, right? Yeah, just a really quick list. Uh, I, you know, I'm definitely not like a, a project manager type. I'm not that organized. But for the specific day, I will go through things that I know are higher priority that I want to get done, and I'll put them in a list. And then every every five minutes that I have free, I'm going to go and check that list and see what I can uh, take off from that list. But I'll also mm -hmm. do crazy stuff like if I if I know I need to do something big and I don't have time, I will spend the time at night. I will work till 2, 3 a.m. Sleep to me is like secondary. Mm -hmm. You know, you can sleep when you're dead. Uh, and so right. a, a lot of the extraordinary things that I think some of my companies have done, not just this one, but the previous one and, and others, have been because I will just zone in and focus and spend till like two or three in the morning every night for like weeks to get it done. Um, and, you know, of course, if I can bring in a team member, awesome. Uh, but not everybody, you know, wants to spend that time uh, yeah, yeah. early morning hours. But for me, I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll skip uh, sleep. Now, the downside of that is that sleep is super important. It helps your stress levels. It helps you think properly. So you cannot really push yourself that hard. I think it's a myth. Uh, mm. And it really damages your mental health. And as an mm -hmm. entrepreneur, we all have mental health issues. Yeah, I mean, like every single one. We can't all be chipper, walk in the office with a big smile on every single day. And especially with all the stresses and lack of sleep and all that. So when I go and spend time and, uh, and take time out of my sleep, I'm doing it for something super important um, because I know I'm going to have to pay for it later. So it's, it's very r rare, but I, I will do that. How do you cope with the mental stress that accumulates or that comes up later on? Is, and it happens probably even outside of the hours, extra hours that you spend during your, during your days and weeks. Yeah, so I, I have a nine-year-old daughter, and uh, I take her out on, on weekends uh, all the time. We we leave the house, we go hiking, we go biking, we go do stuff, and we spend like eight hours out kind of thing. And that mm -hmm. really lowers my stress, so I'm, I'm really thankful for that. Um, I think the other thing that I would tell everyone about is – um, to read, you know, th that book about how not to give two fucks. Um, I can say mm. that word. I don't know if I can, but, but there's, no, you can, you can yeah. have a so, on it. So in all transparency, I actually did not read that book. I was told about that book from a bunch of friends of mine. And I said, yeah, mm. that's obvious. Uh, and so <laughs> I'm not pretending to be super <laughs> smart, but I think I figured out earlier that you have to consider what's important in life and what's not right. And, um, that 
lowers your stress level because if you don't consider it important, then it doesn't matter if it blows up. It's like whatever. Um, you know, I have other things to think about to basically to give a fuck about. And right. every every time now that something comes up, I will think that way. And uh, since I've had this new way of thinking about issues, I've been much much happier. Uh, I'm able mm. to sleep better and so forth. And so I find that um, younger people, especially in their 20s, um, have a problem with a lot of different things popping in. They don't know what to sort of prioritize in terms of like worry about. Right. And so I, in some of my presentations, I will say if there's one thing that you remember from, you know, the half hour, hour long conversation that I've had with you is this. Just remember what to give a fuck about. And then drop right. everything else. And basically, you have two fucks. And so, mm -hmm. prioritize properly. How do you, like, how somebody can get, and I mean, this is, a, this is a challenge for a lot of people, myself included, where how do you stop caring less what other people think? And, and I think you kind of alluded to that. Are there any techniques that you found that could be helpful? Or is it just more of a mental reframe that people need to go through or just audit who are the most important people in their life and then short make them make it shorter to like four or five or six like Brene Brown she carries a list of six people any anything that could help people will be like hey actually this doesn't matter I don't really care what other people think I'm gonna do this that's a really good question and, and in fact I was actually thinking that when I was talking about uh, talking to you know 20-sums um, because that is a massive problem because it changes the way that they make decisions. So they may not make the best Absolutely. decisions because they're thinking about what other people will think. And it's sort of a, this circular infinite loop that you go through. Uh, and then maybe you don't even make a decision. Um, so I don't know if the way that I do it is the best. Like you, you mentioned a bunch of different ways. Mm -hmm. Like there is definitely not a silver bullet. Don't listen to me. But the way that I do it is that I will surrender to the fact that any decision that I make could go wrong um, and, you know, people will not like it. So if I'm okay with that, then I am able to make the best decision. I'm able to look at data objectively and make that mm -hmm. decision, not caring that someone will be upset at me. Um, and yeah, it's sort of turning off human emotion. So you become a, a robot if you want, will. But mm -hmm. it also frees you up. And I have to say that once I figured that out, like the, the whole like I'm going to stop giving fucks about lots of things, mm -hmm. um, it, 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 it felt like I had a weight taken off of my shoulders and I was able to come into work and make the proper decisions, um, not including yeah. emotional decisions or personal uh, reasons for making certain decisions because that screws up businesses. Right. When you have right. an executive making decisions that are based off of their own priorities, not the teams um, or their own personal situation um, or, you know, how they feel the team will react to those decisions or anything like that. Yeah. And like having the clarity of like, hey, I mean, I'm I might look a little bit stupid here, but. Like, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm, I accept that. And here's what we're going to do because this is important for the team. Yeah. And so that's actually a really good co concept uh, for leadership. I don't think that people will follow you if you're not vulnerable. 
And I've seen lots of leaders, even in the Toronto tech industry, who pretend to be something that they're not, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, we all have facades and we all walk around with them fine. But for your team, if you want them to follow you, not because you're paying them uh, and because they don't have anywhere else to go, because that's obviously not a great situation to be, probably aren't great employees then. Um, you know, you have to show yeah. vulnerability. You have to show that you're human. You have to show that you will screw up. And that's okay. Because again, what's a startup? A startup is about an experiment. You are experimenting all the time. And there is absolutely zero chance that you will get 100% right. In fact, it will be quite opposite, right? So yeah. high numbers uh, <laughs> of failures. And so everyone around you has to understand that. And then as soon as everyone does, then you can screw up all the time, except that you, you know, fail fast, move on. It's like, don't even cry about it. Look, you can't change it. And it, it it's like kind of goes back to the self-awareness, uh, isn't it, Roy? Like where, you know, people like people think, oh, I'm going to do like the Steve Jobs way. Like, I'm just going to be like this, like the, the jerkiest person around. And because it worked for Steve, uh, but it never works. Like you want to really be yourself and regardless of how good you are. And then you start there and then you get a little bit better, but in your own unique way. And even Steve Jobs didn't start out as Steve Jobs, right? Um, and, you know, you can say, hey, I want to be Zuckerberg or, or Bill Gates or whatever. Like those, those are all outliers, uh, right? And But going back to yeah. Steve Jobs, I, I actually just listened to a podcast talking about Steve Jobs version one and how he became Steve Jobs version two and he was totally different. And Steve Jobs version one screwed up Apple and he got fired, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then he had to go through the wilderness after being fired from his own startup and learn, learn humility and surrender to the fact that, yeah, he can fail and he did fail. And then when he came back, that's when Apple really took off. And we all look at Apple now as like, wow, they're like the best. They're the most valued company on the planet. But that's Steve Jobs version two. It wasn't the Steve Jobs version one that we all have in our heads. Um, you know, the guy who would yell at people and be and, um, <laughs> this creative genius. I mean, he was very smart. But Steve Jobs number two was a businessman and he knew his limitations. And that's what led to the success of Apple. Yeah, and what's really interesting is that I found, I read a lot of biographies of Steve, I'm a big fan, but what I found the best book that describes what you just said, and I think this is the most important lesson from Steve Jobs, is called Becoming Steve Jobs. Uh, and that book I find to be a little bit underestimated compared to others, like because you, you read like, oh, Walter Isaacson's, that's a great biography. It's okay, it has a bunch of stories, doesn't really tell you that much about Steve's evolution as a person, as a leader, as a businessman. And what you talked about, I think, is the, the key lesson because stories are great, but like, what are you going to take away as the founder? Yeah, uh, you know, obviously you have to inspire confidence in your team because they're, they're all taking a pay cut basically to work at a startup. Um, but you can't be so arrogant and think that you know it all. Um, that's for sure. And again, back to my point, you are human and you will fail and you have to show those vulnerabilities. And when I started to do that more and more, I didn't get the reaction that I thought. I thought that, you know, you show vulnerabilities and people will leave because they'll see you as human. And that's not what they thought. 
I had the opposite effect. I had more people want to follow me, more people uh, want to work with me. And so it's the opposite effect, you know, showing the vulnerability, showing that you're human. And it also, and this is super important, allows you to learn. And that's, again, back to my whole life thesis. Like, it's, you're like a shark, you know, if you stop learning, you die. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, that's, that's what I like to think of myself. I'm like trying right. to always learn, like, what can I learn this week? Hmm. Totally. And it's such a such an important point for people to really understand and absorb and hopefully apply. Uh, do you are, are there any books, Roy, that you gifted the most uh, could be on in business, could be personal sports? Um, yeah, I mean, I actually like a lot of travel uh, nonfiction. Um, I, I find that's really interesting mm. and gets my head out of business and numbers and tech and all this. Um, you know, but in terms of business books, I really love getting to yes, which is an old negotiation book. It's been mm -hmm. uh, updated a few times, but it's such a classic. And uh, it just, I just remember how my work life changed when I realized what that book was telling me, because negotiation mm -hmm. is part of every day. Like you have to negotiate your way for everything. Even like Certainly. maybe getting a coffee, a free coffee. How do you negotiate that? And, and so this book really taught me uh, what negotiation, successful negotiation was really like, not what you sort of see on television, which is what we have grown mm. up with, which fails all the time. Definitely not the Trump way to negotiate. <laughs> it, it could work for some people at, with some context, uh, which does work for Trump, but Probably not for uh, probably not the best way to do that. Yeah, we can argue whether it works for Trump at all. <laughs> yes, it is true. What's the, what was the one? What was the best or the most worthwhile investment that you've ever made? And I don't know this is hypothetical. I'm a I'm a T, I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan, and I believe you're mm. listening to his podcast as well. And those are hard to answer, so. Yeah, I, <laughs> I wanted to throw with you. I do like his podcast at all. I, I find that uh, my reading habits have changed radically. And so when you ask me what books I've read, I haven't read too many books lately. Um, mm. I started listening to books on Audible, but now I don't have enough time in the day to keep up with the podcasts that I want to listen to. Um, and so that's basically my quote unquote reading. Um, mm. And I'm fascinated with Tim Ferriss and decision-making uh, theories and, and all of this. Um, because, yeah, making the best decisions obviously helps everything. And it helps not just business, but life and, and so forth. And right. sort of understanding why we make decisions. Um, you know, the sort of the gut reaction, the, the personal, um, you know, all of that. Right. And sort of analyzing it and hacking it kind of thing. Just like very technical way of looking at it. But like... <laughs> What's the formula to, to making a decision about X, Y, Z, right? Like he, he breaks it down so well. Yeah. And can I optimize that so that next time I have a better outcome, right? So it's almost like an AI machine learning model, right? You, you throw in a bunch mm -hmm. of data and it figures out a better way to do that. Obviously, you know, I'm not going to get as good as an AI, but yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, but it's it's a good point. He 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 does an amazing job of 
on of breaking down the frameworks and just like step by step here's how it happens uh, and like people are like oh let me let me relate to what i do or break down my process of making decisions and uh and then get something out of it yeah so i i listen to him a lot um i listen to the saster podcast as well which is totally different and definitely not as deep um, mm -hmm. But it's interesting to understand what's going on um, in my industry, you know, SaaS in general, which, you know, basically this is the world that we live in today. Almost everything's 100 percent SaaS. Um, but it's there's some really great companies that have figured out how to automate you know, marketing and sales and, right. and all of this. And I think that's really fascinating because in, in a lot of ways we're still operating like it is the early 2000s. Uh, you know, we have yeah. we have a web page. Awesome. There's a contact form mm -hmm. on there. I mean, you can't operate that way anymore. You really have to automate your customer success and your sales funnels and, and your marketing lead generation. Uh, and that's the only way uh, to, to work. And you can't just go and hire 100 people somewhere in the world to dial for dollars anymore, right? That doesn't work. Yeah. That's an old concept. That's such an old concept. The uh, the outsourced call centers, uh, totally. Right. Let me ask you this. I want this is a classic question. I, I would be really curious to hear your answer. So imagine yourself being twenty years old. You are just starting out your career in tech. Maybe you are in marketing, or you just went into product management. You dropped out, or maybe you didn't drop out of university, but you just graduated from university. What would be one piece of advice that you'd give yourself? knowing what you know right now? Yeah, the one thing that I would say is that you're never going fast enough. I, one thing that I learned from my last startup when I, I reflected back on it after the acquisition, I looked at what we did right and wrong, and I realized that I was the biggest impediment to growth, <laughs> me, mm -hmm. the leader, because I had risk. And that risk caused me to slow things down and or maybe said another way, not go fast enough. And I think that is generally a good statement to make for a lot of things, because what's the difference between a Canadian startup and an American startup like one in the valley? Mm -hmm. That's that's mm -hmm. the same question. They don't know the boundaries. They don't know what the speed limit is. They're like, I don't give a shit what the speed limit is, whereas right. We are like, well, the speed limit is X. And so we, like, there is no speed limit. Let, let's just make that clear. It's sort of like we're in the mm. matrix, right? You know, what's reality? Yeah. Reality is whatever the hell we make it. Because there is no reality in tech. Totally. We're coming up with new stuff that hasn't existed. That's what the purpose of a tech startup is. And so why limit yourself? Why not go as fast as you can? Now, obviously, there's like, limitations right i mean cash and, mm. and burn and you don't and like the number one cause of startups failing is obviously lack of cash <laughs> that's yes that's an old joke <laughs> um and so if you go too fast obviously but there's so many other ways that you can go fast without hitting the burn the cash burn uh, and that's one thing that i would really tell myself um it's like think that you're you know going to die tomorrow or next week or mm. next month or something like what have you accomplished, right? I mean, it's fine to, to take a down day kind of thing, but it's like, what are you doing today? Like that's really moving the needle. And where do you want to be? Because if you don't have that goal, you're not going to go anywhere. So like pick a point that's crazy that like you're going to need to go a million miles, a million kilometers a second 
and try and get there. And yeah, you're not going to get there in the time frame that you think you will, but at least you're going to get so much farther than everybody else around you. Thinking bigger and putting a go- really setting aggressively high goals without knowing how you're going to achieve them. Yeah, because then that forces you to figure it out. And like, if you know how to get somewhere, everyone else does too. Right? So it's like, well, yeah. The question is, figure out how to get to somewhere, not to uh, you know figure out what where you want to go. Because I mean, obviously, you need to know that too. But I didn't expect that. But it's a very very interesting insight, Roy. Where's everybody can find you online? Uh, you know, I'm not a Twitter guy. Uh, you, know, you can obviously follow me on Twitter, but everything that's posted there is probably coming from my marketing team, not me. Okay. Um, just transparent. Um, you know, if you want to follow my, uh, hiking and, uh, biking, uh, I'm on Instagram. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, you know, obviously if you want to follow me in terms of business, LinkedIn is by far the best uh, way. Uh, I, I do post personally there, but also you get, you get some, uh, material from the business as well. And we'll link it all below so everybody can check check out uh, what you're doing uh, on your biking side and also on the business side. But also uh, include a link for somebody people want to grab a coffee with you and chat more about startups. I think you are also super interested in that. We'll, we will do that. Last question, Roy. What impact would you like to have on the world? I mean, that's such a big question. And I, I, I definitely don't consider myself to be someone that could impact the world. Uh, I, I, you know, I like to say, you know, I want to change the world in my own way. This is why I'm running this startup, but obviously it's a very tiny change when you consider the, what what else is going on. Um, But the answer there has to be, uh, I want my daughter to grow up being the best person that she can. Hmm. Very personal, which is, uh, probably uh very motivating as well and you're right it's uh it's your personal mission yeah because you know nothing else really matters if you really consider it like you know i'm so passionate about the problem that we're trying to solve at zoom.ai um Hmm. you know in any of the uh, previous companies that i've had or future companies but in the end it doesn't really matter it what matters is um you know my daughter Right. That's right. That's number one. So put that into Always, perspective. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I like to think about when, you know, we read a Steve Jobs biography when he was dying. He I think one thing he was definitely regret <clears throat> like he had a regret for was not spending enough time with his family, not spending enough time on relationship, because at the end of the day, as as good as the business is and Apple was like incredible, doesn't really matter. When, when somebody is not going to be there anymore, um, it's not as important. Yeah, you know, I remember a CEO that I worked for telling me one time that, you know, we're working so hard right now in the company so that we can sell it and then have time to spend with our families and build those memories. And I thought that's really odd because who knows how long that's going to be, if ever. <laughs> you, and it's like your kids are never going to be that age again. And so when I started Zoom, like one of the things that I'm most proud of is the value system that we put in, you know, part of it is balance. And balance means that, yeah, this is fun. You know, we spend a lot of time at work uh, and we like the people that we work with, but there's other stuff in the world, right? And there's family or friends or, 
you know, going to the dentist or whatever. And that's important as well. You know, you're also important, not just the company. And uh, that I really feel passionate about. And uh, I would not have changed at all uh, anything that we've done there. I think we've done a very good job mm -hmm. there. Right. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for, for coming and, um, and sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you for the opportunity. If you guys enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate to hear from you and your feedback. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm including the link in the show notes. That would be awesome. Or you can send me a message on LinkedIn or email to share some of the thoughts and what you like the most about this interview with Roy. I felt like the insights were really, really cool. Some of the amazing takeaways and actionable things that you can take and apply in your business and your personal life to get better. Hope to hear from you. Otherwise, I will see you in the next one.